Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1175 in that Bible. And we are continuing on in our series that we've called Gifted, Walking in What We've Been Given. And we're talking about the spiritual gifts that Scripture talks about and what they are and how they work and the blessing that they bring and how can we find them and how can we walk in them. And so we're taking time now to look at what these gifts are specifically. We do have a study guide that we've put together uh, to help go with this teaching. And the study guide is there to take Sunday morning deeper. There's only so much we can cover in a sermon. And so these are here to help you uh, go deeper, Help apply it practically to your life. Many of our life groups are going through this as their curriculum. Uh, and so you can pick those up at the hub. They're $5. That's just covering the cost of the printing for us. And so we'll go as deep as we can in a 35-minute message. Uh, and then that will help you go deeper into the word through there. Our key verse from the scriptures is 1 John 2.20. You have an anointing from the Holy One. One of the great promises of God's word. That the Holy Spirit has anointed you. He has equipped you. He has gifted you for a purpose. There is a way in which he wants to work in you and through you to glorify the name of Jesus, to help the gospel to spread, and to bless your brothers and sisters. And so there are gifts that are given by God to us, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you have one, at least one. You probably have several, and uh, that's just tough luck. You just got one, so deal with it. And what we're doing in this series is wanting you to know more what that looks like in your life. How do you find out how you're wired? And so not every week uh, might have your particular gift in it, uh, but that's okay, because if it's not for you this week, then it's for somebody else, and you should be happy that they're learning about themselves. But if you don't have the gifts that we're talking about today, you still need to know about them, because they are a blessing in your life, and you need need to know, oh, I don't have that gift, so I need to lean on people who have that, just like other people are going to need to lean on me for the gifts that I bring to the table. Everybody brings something to the table, and so we're wanting everybody to know what they are. So we're talking this week about what are sometimes called the five-fold giftings. That's not a Bible term. That's just a term that we've come up with to describe these five gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And so most of us are pretty familiar with the pastor-teacher side of things. We see that a lot on a Sunday morning. You see that whatever church you're at, there's a teacher probably in the pulpit, and then we call all of our leaders pastors typically in churches. And so pastor-teacher is something that we're familiar with, but there are other gifts in this grouping that are all part of, of leading God's church. And uh, all of these gifts are leadership gifts. They're sometimes called leadership gifts, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be in a formal leadership position in order to use them. And we'll walk through each of these, these gifts and explain what I mean as we go. But the Apostle Paul writes here about these five gifts. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor or shepherd, and teacher. And the blessing that these different gifts bring to the body of Christ. And so I was going over a teaching this week. And because people who teach sometimes like a bunch of things that start with the same letter, uh, what we call alliteration, they came up with this to help us understand these gifts a little bit more. 
Govern, guide, gather, guard, and ground. So the, the apostolic gift comes to govern, to oversee the church, to establish, to build up, to set structure and systems and, and to put things into place. Uh, the apostle comes to oversee and to lead the church from A to B in order to move the church forward. The prophetic gift comes to guide. People who are prophetic hear from God. Uh, they have the ability to tune in and discern what the Lord is saying and share that with other people. And so they make sure we're walking in step with what the Lord wants. The evangelists, of course, gather. They are there to bring people to Jesus and to help point others towards Jesus. The pastor is there to guard. The shepherd watches over the flock, keeps the flock safe, nurtures and cares for and encourages the sheep. And then teachers are there to ground us. They keep us grounded in God's word so that everything that we're doing is biblical. Those are not perfect words to describe these gifts. They're, they're simplistic, as one word is. Uh, but it gives us a bit of a sense. The apostles come to govern, the prophets come to guide, the evangelists gather, the pastors guard, and the teachers ground us in the word. Uh, we'll unpack each one a little bit this morning as we go through and go into that a little bit more. There are a couple of mistakes that we have made when it comes to these gifts. And one of the mistakes that we've made is that we call all of our church leadership pastors, and we have sort of chosen that one gift and said all who lead are pastors. And as we're going to see today, that's not necessarily the case. Pastoring is one gift. Uh, not all church leaders have a pastoral gifting or a pastoral, pastoral heart, as we'll get to. And so we have taken that, that gifting pastor and we've made it a title, a job title. And so for most of us, when we hear the word pastor, we think of, of me and Mesh and Xavier. And, and I didn't realize this was a surprise this morning that they showed a video where they said pastor 8,700 times uh, this morning as we were getting ready for this. Uh, and that was amazing. I'll just echo what Mesh said. That was just touched our hearts so much. Um, in our church culture, not just Meadowbrook, but in our church culture, we've taken pastor and made it a title. And so pastor is someone who's maybe gone to Bible college or who works in the church or who has credentials or whatever. And that's not how the Bible talks about pastor. The Bible talks about pastor as a spiritual gift. And so I'm just going to throw out there, and this may sound surprising, there are many pastors in this room. There are many people in this room who have a pastoral gift, and that doesn't mean you're ever going to work for a church necessarily, or that you're going to school or need to go to school, but it means you've been gifted by God to shepherd, which we will, we will get into as we go. So that's one of the mistakes we've made in 2,000 years of church history with these gifts. We've emphasized that one pastor, and we've expected our pastors to be all of these things. And so our pastors are supposed to be, you know, apostolic governors with vision and drive, leading the charge to fulfill the mission of God. And they're also really sensitive to the leading of the Spirit so that we're always walking in step with God's will. And they're fantastic evangelists out there bringing people to Jesus like crazy. But they're also really gentle and nurturing shepherds who are there to just love the sheep. And they're phenomenal at explaining God's word in a way that's clear and culturally relevant and accessible. And there's nobody who does all that. There's nobody. Jesus Christ is in heaven right now. He's not working at Meadowbrook Church. Nobody can do all of it, and that's okay. We can't expect people to do all of that, except churches sometimes expect people to do all of it, and we say we're going to have a pastor, and we want all this covered. No one person can cover all these things. I have some of this up here. I definitely don't have all of it, and so that's one mistake we've made is that we've, we've personalized and professionalized the word pastor, uh, and so we've limited that there are pastors in this room who can function in a pastoral gifting, and then we've expected our leaders to be all of these things, which just isn't possible for us to do. So we're going to spend a bit of time today unpacking each one. Some will take more time with than others because some of them we're pretty familiar with. But let's take a look at our text today. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. 
Uh, we're going to start in verse 11, page 1175 in the Pew Bible. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So again, there's this body metaphor. We've been talking about this throughout the series. Paul uses it multiple times in his writings in the New Testament that the church family is like a human body. Lots of different body parts, all distinct and diverse, and yet united together somehow in one body. Every body part has a different purpose. My hand can't do what my liver does. Liver's this side. I didn't go to medical school. They're different, and they're crucial, and, and, and the diversity of them is important. And Paul would say in Corinthians, if my whole body were an eye, where would my sense of hearing be? Like, we need all the different parts. And this promise that is given in this passage is amazing. It says when these gifts are firing, when these gifts are functioning, the body is going to grow up into maturity. Every part is going to find its part. Everyone's going to know their spot. Everybody's going to be functioning in, in who God has made you to be. And we've been talking in this series that because these are spiritual gifts, these are gifts where the Holy Spirit meets with us. And so when you're walking in your gifting, you're close to God in that moment. And if we're not walking in our gifting, we miss out on this opportunity to walk with the Lord and partner with him as the Holy Spirit moves through you in order to glorify the name of Jesus, to spread the gospel, and to be a blessing to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so there's a lot to this in this passage. There's a lot of good stuff. And sometimes as we talk about, uh, again, what's sometimes called the five-fold ministry, uh, the analogy of fingers is used because you got five of them, so it's handy. There's five gifts they talk about. There's five fingers on your hand. And if I lost a couple of fingers, I could still get by, right? Like, I can, I can make my way through life. I would adjust. I have a friend who lost a couple of fingers in a farming accident, and so he had to learn how to type differently than the rest of us, but uh, you can make it work. And if, if a couple of these gifts are missing in church life, like, we can get by. Like, we can function okay, but it's just going to be harder than if all five of my fingers are there, right? Sitting at a keyboard down a couple of fingers is tricky. You got to work harder to make it work, and you can adjust and work hard. It's just easier and it's just better when all the gifts are firing the way that they're supposed to be firing. So we'll take a couple minutes to look at each one. Uh, again, your booklets will help you go deeper in this this week, and the life groups will be diving into this as well. But we're going to do this in reverse order. So we're going to start at the right and move backwards towards the apostle. So the teacher, first of all, this was the ground uh, in the G words. It is the, the ones who ground us in God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. People who have a teaching gift love that passage. 
And teaching can look a lot of ways in church life. I mean, it's, it's maybe uh, most obvious here on a Sunday morning, but there's teaching happening all over the place. There's people who are leading life groups and teaching there. There's people teaching our kids. There's people teaching our youth. There's people just teaching one another over coffee. There's people homeschooling and teaching there. There's people teaching their kids through devotionals. Like, there's teaching happening all over the place. All scripture is God-breathed. Everything in the Bible comes from the Lord, and it comes to teach us about who he is, what what he wants from us, how we're to live our lives. It comes to rebuke and correct us. It comes to train us in righteousness, to show us the way that we should go, to make us more like Jesus. God's word comes to do its work in our lives. And we all, whatever you're gifting, we all have an obligation to God's word. We all have the, the ability to read God's word, to understand God's word. But those of us who are gifted as teachers, it's just at a, a more attuned level. People who are teachers, just it's, it's stronger in them. Just like when we talked about the prophetic a couple of weeks, weeks ago, we said we can all hear from God, but there are some of us, it's just tuned in at a higher level, and, and so they are there to help us hear from God. And so teaching is a little bit like that. We all are called to God's word. There are some of us for whom it's at a higher level, and they have the ability to help others understand God's word. So teaching, the teaching gift, is explaining, training, correcting, and encouraging through God's word. And so where scripture comes to do those things that the, the passage in Timothy just said, teachers are the ones who take the scripture and, and help others to do that. So uh, teachers explain the word, they encourage, they correct, they, they do what the word says it's going to do. And so if you have a teaching gift, again, there's lots of ways that can show up, everything from devotionals to, to leading groups and different things. But if a teaching gift is what you've got, we need that desperately. We as a body need the teaching gift functioning because the teaching gift is going to keep us grounded in God's word. It's going to help us understand him better. It's going to bring revelation and clarity as to who he is, what he wants from us, how we are to live our lives. We need that. And it's going to keep us from going off track. If we are grounded in the word, we're not going to fall into error. We're not going to miss God's will. We're not going to go somewhere that we're not supposed to go. God's word is going to keep us hedged in. It's going to keep us safe. So if you have a teaching gift... Uh, we want to find a place for you to try that out. And there's lots of different places that can happen in church life. But uh, it's a crucial gift in order to keep us grounded in God's word. The pastoral gift. And again, so undo your thinking right now, again, that, that this means you are a professional minister. Okay? Just turn off that part of the brain for a moment. Um, and, and we do call our professional ministers pastors. That's, that's not wrong necessarily. But I just want you to undo that thinking for a minute just to hear the heart of this gift. Pastors are there to guard. Um, in 1 Peter, Peter the Apostle is writing to elders in a church, and he writes to them and says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. And this shepherding picture uh, gets used a lot for these church leaders in the New Testament. And the word pastor is a Latin word, and that's all it means. The word pastor in Latin means shepherd. And so this is the image of one who watches over the flock, of one who guides the flock, of one who leads the flock to feeding, of one who keeps the wolves away and keeps the flock safe. Uh, Jesus would say that he was a shepherd, right? I am a good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. Uh, and that is a pastor's heart. That is the pastoral gift in effect. And so if we can turn off, again, the idea that you have to be a professional minister to walk in this gift, then there are a lot of pastors in this room. Pastors are those who guide, feed, protect, and care for God's sheep. And so some of us might do that uh, on a greater level because we are, are hired by the church to do that. 
But again, we have people with pastoral gifts who are working in our kids' ministry, who are working in our youth ministry, who are, who are leading a worship team, or who are leading a life group, or, or maybe not even in a formal ministry, although a lot of times these people show up in leadership in various ways, but even just coming alongside people in the church and, and going for coffee. And so the shepherd's heart is, I love the sheep, and I want to keep the sheep safe. I want the sheep strong. And so the pastor is typically uh, gentle, typically is encouraging, typically uh, invests in building up the sheep, encouraging the sheep. Uh, where there's woundedness, we want to be there to help. And so it's this picture of, of leadership, because the shepherd, uh, you know, guides the sheep. But you notice in the picture, the shepherd is at the back of the flock. Uh, so an apostle is one who goes from the front, and we'll get to the apostles in a second, but uh, the heart of a pastor isn't, come on, everybody follow me, we're winning the world for Jesus! But it's much more, okay, we want everyone to come with us, all right, oh, you, you, come on, come on, and we, we want everybody to come. And so pastors tend to be kind of slow-moving and kind of take their time, but they want to make sure everybody goes along. So it does tend to show up in leadership gift. It's not necessarily a, a lead the charge type leader. And so, again, it's, it's not uh, a title that churches bestow. We do that practically. But in the Bible, it's a gift. It's a spiritual gift that God gives. And so if God has given you a heart to, to care for and nurture for and to nurture people, then that's a God-given gift. You don't need a title to walk in it. It's a gift that he has given you. And so, again, this can show up lots of different ways in church life. And one of the things that um, comes up sometimes in churches is, you know, who gets the title of pastor and who doesn't, and, and should women get it and whatever. And, uh, and our church has talked about that and, and is talking about that a little bit. And since I have the microphone and you all have to listen to what I have to say, here's what I think about the matter. And that is, again, if we take aside the fact churches do definitely, there's bylaws, you need to decide who's going to get a title or not. But putting that aside for a second, it's never to me a bad idea to look at a person and say, I see this gift in you, right? Like that, that, should, that part should not be controversial. And so where, you know, our church has wrestled with, can a woman be a pastor? Again, we need to wrestle through, you know, who gets that title and who doesn't. But um, I don't think it's honoring to God to look at a woman who has a pastoral gift and say, yeah, you're not a, you're not a pastor. Sorry. I think that dishonors the one who gives the gift. And so she's going to be annoyed that I'm using her as an example. But... I think it would be hard to look at Sherry Whitfield, who is our, our key administrator and part of our leadership team. It would be hard to look at Sherry Whitfield and not say, this woman has a pastoral gift. And she doesn't have the title. She doesn't want the title. Again, she's annoyed that I'm talking about her right now. I didn't tell her I was going to do it ahead of time, which I usually do because I thought she would say no. And I just can't think of anyone who's a, a better example of just of the shepherd, right? To love the sheep, to care for the sheep, to be gentle, to be encouraging, to nurture the sheep, to gently lead the sheep along. I'm sorry, that's Sherry Whitfield. She, she has a pastoral gift from the Lord. And, and Sherry's retiring, so she's not looking for a title or anything at this point. But um, my point is, where we see someone with a gift that comes from God, I think, my two cents, I'm not speaking for anybody but me, I think... It's just being authentic and real and honoring towards God and the person to say, we see this gift in you. And that's just me. So we will be saying more about that. We're talking about Sarah Lashkar and her title a little bit over the next number of months. But um, I think where God has given a gift, it's just being honest to say, hey, I see a gift in you. I think that's just, to me, that's just kind of common sense. So, um, amen, huh? What? Okay. <laughs> 
I had to throw that in there. That's just my two cents. So the pastoral gift is there. Uh, again, the problem is in church life over 2,000 years ago, we've said every church leader we're going to give the title of pastor to, and not all church leaders are overly pastoral. They're, they're great leaders, and, and they have great leadership gifts, but they're not necessarily the gentle, encouraging, nurturing type. And that's not their fault, but it's just not how they're wired. It's not how they're gifted by God. And so we just need to be aware of that, and we'll come back to that in a second. The evangelists, the gatherers, in terms of keeping that G alliteration going. Uh, in Matthew 4.19, Jesus says to the first apostles, follow me, I'll send you out to fish for people. This fishing analogy gets used. Uh, that we're going out to fish. There are fish out there that need to come in. There are people out there who need to know Jesus. And again, we are all called to be witnesses. We're all called to share about Jesus. Uh, some of us, it's just at a higher level. It just drives our life in a different way. And so the word evangelist uh, in the English comes from a Greek word, euangelion, and it literally means good news sharer. And we think it's a word that they actually just made up as they were writing the New Testament. We don't see it in other writings outside the Bible. So they just kind of made up a word that summarized what this gift was like. They're the good news sharer. So there is good news out there that God loves you and that even though you sinned and rebelled against him, he loves you anyway, and he died for you in order to bring you back to him, and your sins have been forgiven, and he wants to spend eternity with you forever because he loves you that much. That's good news. And so evangelists are the good news sharers. They are the ones who are driven to spread that around. Again, we are all called to do that. But for some of us, it's going to be on a whole other level. So we have been praying for Rob Whitfield in our church. He's a member of our church. He's been fighting a lung infection for the last uh, number of weeks. And uh, it is slowly turning around. I know I speak for Sherry and the family. Thank you for your prayers. We, there has been a shift. We are still praying for him. But he was going for a surgery. And so I went up to the hospital to visit him the day before the surgery just to pray for him before he went in. And he was in a ward room, so he had four, four beds in the room, just divided by a sheet at Hotel Dew. And as I'm chatting with him, he's, he was pretty weak and pretty tired, and, and he, I don't think he wanted everyone to hear what we were talking about, but he just said, um, oh, I was talking to this gentleman over here about Jesus. Um, he wasn't interested at all. And then this gentleman over here, uh, he's a Muslim guy. He really wasn't interested at all. But I'm praying for him because, you know what, God can speak to him through dreams or there's a lot of ways he can hear about Jesus. But this gentleman over here, uh, I don't quite know where he's at, but we've been having a really good conversation about God and now we're both sick and so kind of the nature of God and suffering and, and why do bad things happen to good people. And, and so he's like, yeah, so I, I was sharing Jesus with him a little bit and I just thought, man, Rob is here. He's sick. He's weak. He's facing surgery tomorrow and he's fishing. He's sharing Jesus from his hospital bed. And Rob, you know, son of missionaries and, and a talker who can just engage with anybody. And, uh, you know, Rob is a good news sharer and just always feels that I just want to share Jesus as I talk to people. He does it really well. And I was inspired because that's not my strongest gift. But I was just like, wow, even, even like in this sick bed, even facing surgery, even, you know, suffering for weeks, uh, just out fishing. And, and to be fishing, it's not up to you whether the fish bite or not. 
not, right? But it's, it's our job to cast the line, and that's what he was doing. And he was just making the good news available in case anybody was interested, and it was so inspiring to see. So those who are evangelists, sharing the good news and helping others to find Jesus, just a simple definition. Uh, again, we all are called to do that and be ready to do that, but some of us, we're just going to be geared that way on a whole other level, and that can happen in lots of different ways. For Rob, it's a hospital bed. People who are evangelists, I have noticed, tend to always be kind of looking for opportunities, just like people who are, are literal fishermen. Uh, whenever see, they're seeing water, they're always going like, if I were on that water right now, I'd be going right over there. That looks like a good spot. Um, evangelists are, are just always aware and always looking. And yeah, and don't take a pressure on, like, I have to do it. It's my job to cast the line. And if they bite, that's up to Jesus and that's up to the person. But my job is to go fishing. Prophetic, I'm not going to say a lot about because two weeks ago we did a whole sermon just on the prophetic. So uh, if you missed that, you can go listen to that online. It's on the podcast. We have our videos up as well. So uh, I won't go too much because we wanted to uh, take a whole week just to go into this gift because this gift shows up a lot. Uh, in lots of the other lists of gifts, as we'll see as we keep going. 1 Corinthians 14, 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And it's just uh, a great picture. So people who are gifted prophetically, again, we can all hear from God, but some of us are, are tuned in on another level. And so the prophetic people sense what the Spirit is saying and they share it. They have the ability to discern and share that discernment with others. And so that was our simple definition. They determine what the Lord is saying and they share it. Uh, and it's crucially important because we take a lot of pressure on ourselves to, to have answers, to figure things out. There's a tremendous amount of hope and freedom when I say, you know what, I don't know everything or even much at all, but I serve the God who knows everything. And so the most important thing that I can do is learn how to know what he knows right? The most important thing, the way to make my life easier is not to get smarter and learn more myself. It's to learn better. How do I tap into his wisdom and his understanding and his revelation? And as that happens, honestly, everything in life gets easier. Not that life gets easy, but when we know we are hearing from him and walking in his will, it makes everything easier. And so this is an important gift, which again, we took a whole sermon just to unpack, so you can go listen to that online. The apostle, the last one, the, the governors of the church. Um, Paul writes in Titus 1.1, 1, 1, uh, one definition, uh, he's introducing himself, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. There's a few snippets like that where Paul talks about what this gift is. Um, this is one, like the prophetic, where there maybe is a lot of misunderstanding. There are some who believe this gift doesn't exist anymore. Uh, I don't agree with that at all. But the word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, and it literally means one who is sent off. Uh, that's what the word means. And sometimes it gets translated as a messenger or an ambassador or an envoy. And that's, that's a pretty good picture. It doesn't quite grasp uh, what the word is going for. And it's a word that wasn't around that much until the church started using it. And then it became much more of a popular word. But the, what would happen is this. So at the time the Bible is being written, the Romans rule the world, right? The, the civilized world. 
And so Rome, the Roman Empire, uh, until the Nazis, there had really not been an empire like this, where they just were really, really good at conquering other places. They were just phenomenal at taking over. Their army was, was cutting edge and top notch. They had all sorts of skills and things like infrastructure and, and building roads and aqueducts and things, which don't sound that important. But when you're trying to build an empire, you know, if you want to invade a country, you got to have a road to get there. And once you take over the country, you got to be able to get water there. And so they just had all this brilliance and ingenuity and they were brutal and ruthless as well. They were not uh, overly concerned about, you know, cultural sensitivity or anything like that. Their goal was to make the world Roman. And so let's say in this illustration, Rome has taken over Canada. And that wouldn't have happened back then because the ships were little and you wouldn't have been able to cross the ocean. But let's say Rome has taken over Canada. The Roman emperor would send an apostolos. He would send an, an apostle on behalf of the Roman government. And this person's job was to make Canada Roman. His job was to come, and he would be the overseer of everything that was happening, and he would come to Canada, he would be in charge, and he would say, all right, well, here is the new Roman laws that you guys need to get used to. Here's our Roman culture. Here's our Roman army. Here's our Roman economy. And so his job was to come and set up the kingdom of Rome in Canada and make Canada Roman. So that was something that was happening in the world at this time. And that's the word that scripture uses to describe what these early followers of Jesus did who had walked with Jesus. It said these people are like that. They are apostolos. They are apostles. Except what these ones are doing in, in the Christian sense is they are coming and they are building the kingdom of God wherever they go. Uh, they are coming into a territory. They are establishing, this is how we do things in the kingdom of God. This is the, the structure of a church in the kingdom of God. Here's our theology in the kingdom of God. And so their role was to go to different places. And as they went, they built the kingdom of God wherever they went. And they taught the, the culture of the kingdom, the laws of the kingdom, the expectations of the kingdom, the standards of the kingdom. And they made wherever they went look a little more like the kingdom of heaven. And so that's what the apostles did. They borrowed this word from what was going on in the Roman world at the time. And when we think of apostles, we often think of the 12. There were 12 disciples who followed with Jesus. Uh, Judas kills himself. Another apostle took his place. And we often think of the 12 apostles and the role they had in establishing the church. And we would say certainly that there are no apostles today equal to these apostles. These are ones who walked with Jesus face to face. These are the ones who saw him resurrected from the dead. These are the ones who wrote the scripture as the Holy Spirit led them. Uh, and so these are in a class all by themselves to be sure. And so where I grew up in the, the Pentecostal stream, you get nervous if someone came and said, I'm an apostle. I used to get emails like cold calls coming in saying, oh, Apostle Jones is coming through Sudbury. If you would like him to come and speak on a Sunday morning, he'd say, no, thank you. I don't know what that means, but it's scary a little bit. And often when people try to claim, I'm an apostle, I'm an apostle, what they're really getting at is, I'm the boss, and you all need to listen to what I say and do what I say. They're claiming it as a position of authority. And yet when the apostle Paul talked about being an apostle, he says, we're like the ones at the end of the train being dragged into the arena to be stoned to death. Like, this is not, 
necessarily a position of great honor and prestige, right? We serve the church in a foot-washing way, like Jesus said, uh, and it's not necessarily kind of the top-down thing that you would expect in leadership. So there's the 12 apostles. That being said, uh, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 24 to 25 people in the New Testament who are called apostles beyond the 12. Uh, so the 12 are there. But the Apostle Paul is not one of the original 12. He came later. Barnabas is called an apostle, and he wasn't one of those. Timothy is called an apostle at one point. And so it's not just about the 12, obviously. And so when we talk about the apostolic gift in church today, this is really what we're talking about. It's people who are pioneering who are laying foundations, who are mentoring, who are strengthening, who are overseeing and directing the church. It is undeniably a leadership gift. But it is people who are there uh, to build up the church, to establish things, to, to work on systems and structures. This is what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like uh, at Meadowbrook Church or at Lake Point Church or whatever church is going on. And so there are a lot of pastors out there who aren't actually pastoral. They're much more apostolic. Uh, they're phenomenal at leadership. And so the Apostle Paul said, follow me like I follow Christ. Uh, so these are people who have vision and drive. How are we going to help this church fulfill its mission? And, and we'll work on this structure and this plan and this policy and this dream. And we'll get this money here and that there. And we're going to move the church from here to here. Follow me, everybody. So where the pastor is maybe a little more like guiding the sheep and wanting everyone to come along, the apostles a little more... I'm going to inspire the church and take the lead. Follow after me, and we'll go charging into this amazing place where we fulfill the mission of God. And so we have a pastor, a former pastor here, Greg Allen, who was our lead pastor. Someone told me in between the services that when Greg was candidating for this job, he stood up and said, I am not a shepherd. I am not a, a pastor in the sense of how we're talking about it today. Uh, and, and I got to know Greg, I worked with Greg, and uh, I agree with that statement. And if you knew Greg, I think you would probably agree with that too. Greg was much more apostolic than pastoral. So he was great at, I look at the church, I see what needs to happen to move us into a new level, and we need to work on the bylaws, and we need to change the structure, and we need to get geared this way. Greg was highly evangelistic as well, and so just had this heart to be in the community and fulfill the mission of God. And, and so he, you know, he was really gifted in sort of the apostle evangelist thing. He wasn't overly pastoral. That wasn't his strength. Uh, and sometimes we, we give a hard time to leaders who aren't what we think that they should be, and it's really not fair, because again, none of us have all of the gifts. And so Greg was much more apostle evangelist. He wasn't overly pastoral in his heart. Meanwhile, on the flip side, I'm pastoring up in Sudbury. I'm getting criticized in Sudbury that uh, although people are, are happy that I care for people and that I'm teaching the Bible, they're not happy that I'm not leading the charge, that I'm not saying, let's go fulfill the mission of God. I heard for years, where's the vision, Chris? Where's the, where's the drive to get us out there? Where's the, the charge ahead? And I struggled with it so much and, and ultimately realizing, you know what, I'm, I'm pastoral teacher. I'm not apostolic. And in the Pentecostal church, they're really looking for apostolic leaders who can run at the front and lead the charge. And so there's Greg, apostle evangelist, kind of getting a bit of a hard time because he's not pastoral enough. There's me, pastor teacher, getting a hard time because I'm not apostolic enough. And we just kind of wandered and found each other. And it's like, okay, so no one has all the gifts, but the important thing is, are the gifts covered? Are, are the gifts there? And when Pastor Greg left and we were looking for uh, a new position and the, the one that ultimately led us to mesh, it was, 
yeah, you know what? Like the, the pastor-teacher thing we're pretty good at as a leadership team, and we got Susan Friesen on the team. She's really prophetic, and so, but we really are missing an evangelistic piece, and we're missing an apostolic. We're missing that person, overseer at large, to, to lead the charge, to have the vision, to take us in the place that we need to go. Uh, and so we advertised for that, and we got Mesh, and man, did God ever bring us the right guy. Like, Mesh has gifts that I can't touch. He's so good at what he does. And so the important thing is not that one person does everything. The important thing, too, is that we have grace for one another, understanding, you know what, there's gifts that, that you have, and there's gifts that you just don't. And so when I would get a hard time over essentially being not apostolic enough, or Greg got a hard time over not being pastoral enough, that would be a little bit like saying, you know what, Chris, like, you did a good job on guitar this morning, but why aren't you better at the drums? It's like... There's a gift, and, and there's not a gift, and just because you have one gift doesn't mean you have another. And so it's understanding that these all need to work together. And as these things work together, if you can get a picture of this, then we have apostolic people who are leading the church. And not all uh, apostolic people, again, are in professional ministry. Some of you are apostolic, and, and you use it in your workplace, and, and you, maybe you help out on different leading a ministry here or whatever. You might not be a professional minister. But apostolic people have the vision, have the knowledge and know-how of how to get there, and apostolic people move us forward from A to B. And, and that's the great strength that they give. As they are doing that, the prophetic people are tuning into God and making sure we're in step with his will. That, that as much as we want to charge forward, is the timing right? Is the idea right? So they are helping us discern, are we moving in step with the Lord and not just doing this on our own? While that's happening, evangelists are fishing and they're bringing people in and people are coming to Jesus, which is the great mission of the church. As they're coming to Jesus, pastoral people are there to love and encourage and nurture and, and build up and support them. And then teachers are there to pour in God's word, make sure we're grounded in the scripture. Do you see the picture of how this can work? It's amazing. And so sometimes what happens is a church will say, you know what, we're going to be an evangelist church. We're going seeker-sensitive. We're just going to be all about leading the lost to Jesus. That's not on its own a bad idea. But if that's the only gift that's being encouraged and the only gift that's being worked on, what happens, and I've seen this in churches, is you have a church that leads people to Jesus, but then there's no pastoral people and no teaching people there to care for them when they get there. And the church ends up being full of, of brand new believers, which is amazing, but there's no one there to, to feed the sheep. There's no one there to ground them in the word. And those things can kind of go off the rails. Sometimes a church says, you know what, we're going to be a teaching church. It's just going to be all about the word, and we're going to go deep, and it's going to be, you know, nothing else is going to be as important. And then you get a church full of people who know God's word really, really well on a deep and rich level, but no one's coming to Jesus because nobody's going fishing. And so it's not about elevating one of these gifts above the others. It's saying we need all of them together, all of them working together. And some of you in this room have an apostolic gift. Some of you in this room have a prophetic gift. Some of you are fishers, evangelists. Some of you have a pastoral gift, a pastoral heart. Some of you are teachers of the word. And if that is you, if any of that sort of twigs with you, uh, we need your gift at work in the kingdom. We are actually lacking if you're not using your gift to glorify the name of Jesus, to bless other people, and to help spread the gospel. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done here. I threw a lot at you, and uh, again, you're going to go deeper in your booklets this week and in the life groups, but if you have questions about anything, I'd be happy to chat. Paul says these gifts have come from God. Christ himself has given these gifts, and he says these gifts come 
to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. So for a teacher, it's not just about what that person teaches you. It's about hopefully the teacher is stirring up in you a hunger for God's word. For an evangelist, it's not just that the evangelist is leading people to Jesus. It's that the evangelist is equipping the rest of us to get better at leading people to Jesus, just like I learned from Rob in the hospital room that day. It's not just that a prophetic person can hear from God and tell us, here's what I think God is saying. It's that they can inspire and teach us how to hear from God ourselves as, as well. These gifts don't just come to be the blessing that they are. They come to equip the rest of us to grow in these things as well, to learn from them. How do I share Jesus with people? I might not ever be an evangelist like them, but I can learn how to do better at this. I can learn something from them. So we're as these gifts fire, we're going to reach unity of the faith, be built up, no longer infants, no longer tossed back and forth. When these gifts are firing, uh, the body grows up. We become who we're supposed to be. The last line says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is the Christ. We will become like him. We will become the reflection of who he is. And, uh, and these are leadership gifts, but Paul makes no mistake that Jesus is the head of the church, ultimately. Even if there are some people in different places who exercise leadership, it's Jesus' church, ultimately. And as the head, he is there, and we are all just a part of his body looking for our spot and how we can bless others, how we can glorify his name, how we can help point other people to Jesus. If any of those gifts are yours, uh, we'd love to pray for you after the service. And, and if any of those gifts are yours, start to say, okay, where can I use those in my church life? Where can I use those with my church family? Because we need them desperately as we need all of them. And if you didn't hear any of your gifts today, we will get to more in the next few weeks, and I trust you will hear one there. But we're going to spend a bit of time in worship before we close, so I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, please. The words will be on the screen. Please join in with us. A few years back, a bunch of friends and I rented a 15-passenger van, and we went on a camping trip. And on this camping trip, it was pretty rainy, and we entered an area where you drive towards a campsite, and it was pretty muddy, but we decided to go for it. And we drove through, and our van got stuck. And so there's 15 of us in this van, we all get out, and one of the strong guys there says, I can push this van by myself. So he tries to do it himself, doesn't budge. So we get somebody in the driver's seat, obviously, and the rest of us start pushing, and we're in knee-deep mud, it's bad. But we're pushing, and we're pushing, and we're working together, and finally, after a few minutes, we got the van forward, we are all dirty, we laughed a lot, we had a lot of fun. But what's amazing about that story is, you can't do something by yourself, and there's no way we could move that van with one person. And that's what the body crisis. We work together, we're in this together. We're there to encourage one another and work together as God has wired us to be. So as you think about how God has wired you to be and you're trying to figure out the gifts you have, we encourage you to pray through those things and ask the Holy Spirit to show you. And if you already know what your gift is and you're not using it or serving there, we encourage you to take that step forward to do those things. And if you're serving currently in your gift, that's amazing. Now continue to ask the Holy Spirit to enhance that and grow that in you and to seek wisdom as we serve his kingdom. And one of the good ways to just get inspired and encourage us to receive prayer as well when we're trying to seek what God is saying in our lives. And we have people that will be here after service that will come pray with you that are available up front. So if you want to receive prayer or some encouragement, we ask you to come forward. And as people are coming forward, uh, which is a great thing, if you want to visit and connect, that's fantastic. We ask you again to do that in the foyer down the hallway so we can create a space of ministry here. Let's pray together.
Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you that uh, you love us, that you're with us. And we pray, Lord, as we go into our week, that you show us just how you wired us to be and give us opportunities to serve and the gifts you've given us. Open up those doors and those times where we can connect with people or serve in different ways and show us Holy Spirit. And for those who are trying to seek out what it means to serve you fully in their gifts that you've given them, give them clarity of mind. Give them wisdom as we continue to build your church together uh, for the unity of the kingdom. Lord, thank you that in our gifts and our abilities, we recognize it all comes from you. This is your church. Uh, we do these things to honor you. And thank you that in our imperfection, in times where we lack understanding, you allow us to come to the throne with confidence, not because of who we are, because of who you are in our lives, Jesus. So thank you for each person here. Uh, Lord, give us a great week, whatever's ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.